Welcome to Blue Medicine Journal, a Jungian podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Luz del Castillo, coming to you from out of the blue to imagine a new world into being. Today, I'm really happy to introduce Roland Palencia. He is a professor at California State University, Northridge's Seng College in Diverse Community Development Leadership. MA program, and he's an award-winning filmmaker. He is the former Community Benefits Director and Corporate Trainer at the LA Care Health Plan, the largest public health plan in the nation. He is also the former Executive Director of Clinica Monsignor Oscar A. Romero and Equality California, and former multi-county Regional Director at the California Endowment and Chief of Operations and Vice President at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. In 2001, Roland was honored as a local hero by KCET, a PBS affiliate, and Union Bank of California. In the early 1980s, he became one of the founders and a pioneer of the blossoming LGBTQ Latin movement in greater Los Angeles area, including co-founding Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos and Viva, a queer Latin artist collective. Valencia has been featured in a number of books and publications such as Gay LA, A History of Sexual Outlaws, such a lovely <laughs> title, I love that. Power Politics and Lipstick Lesbians by Stuart Timmons and Lillian Faderman. Central Americans in Los Angeles by Rosa Maria Segura, and The Gay Revolution, The Story of the Struggle by Lillian Federman. The 165-page master thesis by David Guzman records Palencia's life journey as a Guatemalan political refugee and community activist. His executive producer film credits include Transvisible, Bambi Salcedo's story, a documentary depicting the life and activism of the nationally renowned trans-Latina activist Bambi Salcedo. Unidad, Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos, which chronicles the 1980s queer Latino activism in Los Angeles. And Art as Activism, which depicts the history of self-help graphics and arts the seminal East LA-based arts organization founded in 1970. Valencia received a BA in history from UCLA and a master's in depth psychology and creativity from Pacifica Graduate Institute based in Montecito, California. Yay, welcome. Wait, I, I'm happy to have Roland also as one of my friends. <laughs> Welcome, Roland. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that you agreed to join me in in uh, on this podcast. And I, I want to say before we formally begin, he, Roland went to he he graduated, got his master's from Pacifica in a program where I actually teach. And one of the things it, it we in the Jungian depth psychology, Jung always sort of emphasized in encountering, finding one's own personal myth in this larger unfolding cosmic story. And 
just from the bio alone, you can see that as an immigrant, as a Latino immigrant, as a gay immigrant, Roland has been doing just that, finding throughout his life and a lifetime of wisdom, his personal myth in this larger unfolding story. And so he's here today to share that with us, to share his story and, and how it unfolded and what, what did it what did it look like, what it felt like to him. So welcome, welcome, Roland. And where to begin, you know, please tell us. Well, I can definitely start by saying thank you, Sandra. This is uh, such a privilege. It's an honor to be here. And thank you so much for um, becoming a platform for a lot of voices that need to be heard. I think that, um, you know, as you mentioned, personal myth is a very, I, I, don't, I don't see that as a noun, meaning something static, but more like a verb. It's something that it continues to evolve. And there might be some primary reason or primary motivation as to what uh, manifests that myth. But I think that it's an ongoing uh, dynamic you know, process, right? So I think that for me is, uh, you know, I was born and raised in uh, Puerto Barrios, Izabal in Guatemala. And Puerto Barrios is very unique in the sense that it's on the Atlantic coast, it's in the Caribbean, between Belize and Honduras. And it's so very different than the rest of Guatemala. You know, we have the presence of a Garifuna culture. Garifuna is uh, Guatemalans of African descent. Uh, who actually many of them fled uh, slavery islands in the Caribbean, you know, like uh, Jamaica and, you know, and, and Trinidad and Tobago and so forth. And they actually ended up on the coast of Central America. So I was very much uh, influenced and also very much uh, impacted in, in a very positive way uh, by being like 50% of my neighborhood was Garifuna or Guatemalans of African descent. So instead of like jingle, jingle bell in during Christmas, we had drums and we had, you know, it was just, you know, and, and drums are like instruments, right? That, you know, that beat your heart, you know? So it's a very different, uh, it's, it's a sound that goes right into your heart. And 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 I think many times it's in rhythm with those palpitations as opposed to the more European musical instruments, which are more like a string or, um, or wind instruments which are, uh, you know, so much more related to, to the year. Uh, drums, I think, uh, really hit the heart. And any music that has drums, I'm totally, you know, oh, enchanted by it. I want to say something. It, to me, the drums are, are the heartbeat of the earth. And I, I had the pleasure, you know, I lived in, in, in Veracruz, in Jalapa, Veracruz, for um, four mm -hmm. years. And in that period of time in, in Veracruz, the, the, the main city, every year there was the Afro um, Caribeño Festival. Mm, and course. I had, and, oh, it was amazing. And I had the, yeah. the, the honor, the privilege of hearing the Garifano music. Oh my God, what yeah. a celebration of life. That that whole, you know, Afro-Caribeño Afro yeah. in, in Veracruz was yeah. just a celebration. Yeah. You, yeah. you were raised in that. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a very, very distinct culture, the food, you know, the traditions, and also the uh, just the attitude, you know, much kind of like free loving and, you know, more in tune with your body. And, and, and you know, because it was hot and humid, you know, people did not wear a lot of clothes that were really stuffy. I think that in cold climates, people tend to, you know, the clothes make you a little bit more reserved, I think. But anyways, be that as it may, I also was, uh, you know, was raised in a political family. My father actually, 
joined the underground uh, guerrilla movement in Guatemala. Uh, he became part of the resistance, and unfortunately, he was uh, assassinated in 1971 because of his uh, uh, more progressive leftist political viewpoints. So certainly that was uh, that was that became part of my uh, individual personal myth, and also growing up as a, as a gay child who basically had no support. As much as your family loves you, the families are not designed, and certainly not at that time, and and is that's changing a little bit now, uh, but certainly not at that time. Uh, we're not designed to support that that inner uh, queerness or inner gayness in, in, in a child. And and so here I was as a five-year-old, just being suppressed and repressed by every institution you can think of, you know, very powerful institutions. And that, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, certainly law enforcement, and in the sense that, you know, you knew they were not your friends. Um, you know, and, and certainly Guatemala having a tradition of being a very militaristic, you know, kind of place. And the school system that totally, totally ignore you. And 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 also your peers, you know, your uh, schoolmates, you know, making uh, making very homophobic jokes. And, you know, and it was just a whole environment. And yet there was something about that five-year-old spirit that never gave up that never succumb, that always maintain is a spiritual integrity. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, certainly have contributed to my personal myth, and, and, and obviously that's a very universal myth as well, that we don't uh, we don't suppress that spirit. And even if we do for some uh, time, that, that, that eventually we have the ability and, and, and the obligation you know, to 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 really connect to that, and I think that's so. That fast forward, I my family had to leave Guatemala. My mom migrated, uh, and there were like five years where we did not live with either parent because my father had pretty much uh, joined the revolution, so to speak. And and again, he was assassinated in 1971. My mom left for the U.S. in 1970. So also part of that story is about me becoming an adult at the age of 12 and a half and pretty much being responsible for my younger siblings and uh, and so that was that was uh you know there was part of that that eventually you know I went to a lot of therapy or but also the nothing is a hundred percent one thing you know there's always right this uh symbiotic relationship with with things and and I realized that uh, I became a leader. I became a leader at the age of 12 and a half, you know, just helping out my, most of my family always had businesses. So I was involved in the businesses. Um, like when uh, my aunt, she had a typing academy, those old mechanical typewriters. And I became an instructor at the age of 14. I became a typing instructor at the age of 14. While also becoming, you know, kind of like in charge of the household, so to speak. So that gave me, uh hands-on real life experience and leadership because you're managing students you're managing families you're managing uh you know the circles around you and so when i uh, migrated to the us uh i was undocumented i crossed the border with no uh papers so i was in nogales mexico and nogales arizona border um that, that i crossed 
and we eventually became uh, documented and eventually gained our citizenship. So uh, that 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 did happen. Um, and stop me whenever, but I I just want to say that one of the things as I literally cross the border, which I really call it more like a wound. You know, that border is a you wound. Call, you call it a, you call it a, a what? Wound. A, a wound. wound. Okay. Yeah. A wound. You know, and it's in the, in the sense that is, you know, there's so much pain that, you know, that uh, border, uh, frontera, right, um, uh, you know, symbolizes, you know, for so many people. Just think about all the things that happen crossing that border. And, and now the razor Now the razor wire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and but also, you know, just how that border was determined, you know, who uh, was left on which side of the border, and even the ones who were left on the side of the U.S., you know, their rights were not respected, you know, families were dispossessed of their land. I mean, the story goes on and on, right? So it's more than just the border itself, but for me, that's like a symbolism of how Latinos in the U.S. began to be treated, you know, inside these borders. And, uh, you know, and certainly, you know, I mean, we can talk a lot about, you know, you know, how, uh, you know, even for Latinos in Latin America who are not on this side of the border, you know, how U.S. intervention had absolutely changed the fate and the destiny of many of the nations south of the border, including Guatemala. Um, but be that as in May, I, two things happened. You know, when I migrated to the U.S., I felt a sense of freedom. I felt like my, you know, gay soul kind of sense of freedom that this might be a different place for me to express and to become wholesome, Oof. you know, in a way that, you know, I could not uh, be, you know, south of that border. You said uh, that you know, uh, Freddie Mercury song. I oh, want to I, be free. It was like a. I want to break out free. Yeah, it was yeah. A, sort of like an anthem for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, so many songs. I mean, like every movement has is um, is music, right? Mm-hmm. And the civil rights movement had Motown. You know, we had disco. You know, the gay movement had disco. Uh, now it doesn't mean that you know gay people were being treated nicely on this side of the, that border at that time. Of course, we're still having the struggles, but at the same time, we had to acknowledge that a lot of headway has been made. I, uh, I, one of the things that I, but one of the things that I realized is that ethnically, linguistically, socially, I was kind of like, quote unquote, demoted. Uh, we were a business family, we were a political family. Having crossed the border, we became something else. We became undocumented, we became immigrant, we became Spanish speaking, uh, you know, which was not an issue, obviously, in Guatemala. Uh, we became uh, people with certain physical traits that were not necessarily the ideal norm, meaning we were not uh, blonde, blue-eyed, uh, light-skinned. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, I were in Guatemala, we were kind of up-and-coming family. Here, we were like the wetbacks, right? And everything that, you know, that comes along with that. Now, one thing is for society to have a conversation about you. And another thing is, you know, to what extent do you internalize those conversations and they become part of your makeup? And I think that that, that is also part of this mythology where we begin to break with those uh, outside patterns, right? For the sake of our own sanity, 
and, and again that that spirit right that that we don't allow to be uh broken to pieces or to be broken down period so i um so one of the things as soon as uh, within a few months and because in some ways now that i think about it i was a leader as a child you know i was a leader in my household and i was a typing instructor so i was you know had some leadership abilities i became the um uh, even though my i was not I was early i mean my my english was much was much more rudimentary period at that time i became the president of the english as a second language club and that was within like six months. And so how it was. How old were you, Roland? How old were you? I was almost 18 when I came to the US. I was almost 18. So, you know, pretty much a good chunk of my life had been spent in Guatemala. And, and the way I put it to people is like, just think about you walking into a film like halfway. You missed the first part. So, you know, as someone who was not raised in the US, it's like there was a lot of cultural, there are a lot of cultural references that people make to write those first 18 years of their lives that I pretty much miss. You know, the, the children cartoons, the shows that people saw, the t television shows and so forth, totally miss that. Be that as it made, I think that consciously or unconsciously, and this is part of the, the, the acknowledging the Jungian uh, aspect of us, right? That sometimes we make unconscious decisions, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Um, but at some point, W. Uh, Jordan, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful quote. We are, we are lived by powers we pretend to understand. Right, and, <laughs> and so 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 what happens is that, and and the 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 key is you made the unconscious conscious, right? And that's when we have more of a say so. Absolutely. When our, our lives happen, well, I did not have that language. I certainly didn't have that framework at that time, no. but I did have the spirit of that. You know, it was not a very conscious thing that I could study, that I could have it in front of me and move it, manipulate it, figure it out. But certainly, there was something in it that was already speaking to me, and so I became uh, a leader. And then when I went to UCLA, I got accepted to UCLA. I joined Mecha, Movimiento Ciudadil, Chicano Land. Even though I was Guatemalan, you know, I did join Mecha. Mecha was terribly sexist, misogynist, and homophobic at that time. Uh, of, of course, things have changed, and I'm not so sure how much of uh, how many Mechas are still uh, in existence. But uh, and it was it was a very um, heterosexual, uh, heteronormative-driven, uh, you know, kind of book, kind of kind of uh, organization. But again. You know, how do I, there was a quest and there was a thirst, you know, for me to provide some leadership, not only to my life, but to the communities that I belong. And, and then I realized that something happened there. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but I was basically emotionally blackmailed that I was going to be outed if I decided to run as the uh, kind of president or coordinator of Mecha. And then I heard about the LGBT Center. At that time, it was the Gay and Lesbian Community Services Center. I went to a support group um, for people who were coming out. And this is back in 1981. And I met Jose Ramirez, New York And he was the one who led a Spanish-speaking coming out group, which were very, very uh, popular in those days because it was a whole 
nation, literally, of um, lesbians, gay men, and trans people, you know, coming out of the closet kind of thing. So I joined that, and 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 it's interesting again this pattern, or like you said, you know, this personal uh, mythology or the personal story of leadership, right? And 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 then we decided to create a group, and and a lot of this is chronicle in that film that is PBS co-produced and it's called Unidad Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos. So Unidad Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos is a, a film that is co-produced by PBS and the website is unidadmovie.com and Unidad spells U-N-I-D-S and David A-D movie.com one word unidadmovie.com and it's going to be on that website for the next uh two and a half years so don't wait for two and a half years watch it tonight uh today uh and just go to that website unidadmovie.com and click watch now and it's on 24 7. the the movie chronicles the the story or the history of an organization that i along with other people uh, co-founded back in 1981, uh, uh, watched the movie, and of course, you will get a, a much better sense of what that whole story was. But just for the purposes of our conversation today, I, I think it was that, uh, uh, you know, that sense of, you know, if there is not a place where you belong, what about creating a community where you belong? So if it's not there, you know, how can you, uh, how can you create it? So you have a place. And uh, and I think that's that's been kind of like part of my story, part of my myth. Like the, the common thread is leadership, right? And it's so important, I think, for our own personal mythology. What is the common thread? You know, what is the common thread? Not thread. Well, there's also a common thread, obviously. But what is the common thread in terms of, uh, you know, the story of your life? And for me, it has always been a sense of... Uh, wanted to belong and and not having those spaces and creating those spaces and, and also uh leadership like right and leadership doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become an elected official or that you're going to lead uh be at the head of a big movement and it could obviously include that all those things but it's more about those circles that you want to impact you know that become a validation of who you are and I think that that's what uh, Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos ended up becoming for hundreds of people. Uh, and out of that, people became leaders, uh, whereas there was really no other spaces that had that that uh, you know that kind of integration, meaning where you could be immigrant, you could be Spanish speaking, you could be uh, English speaking Latino, you could be fifth generation Latino, you could be a lesbian, you can be trans, you could be uh, anything. And you kind of felt that that uh, space really spoke to you. So I, I think- I have, question. Message, I have a question, Roland. Yeah. You you were inspired to, to create this community. That was so key because even within the gay community, it was the, 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 the white gay community you didn't find that that sense of belonging. Absolutely. I mean, so, yes, I mean, we were basically orphans of two movements, you know, the Latino civil rights movement and the, um, you know, gay mainstream uh, movement for equality. 
you know, which really still is uh, a movement for equality that is unequal. And, and uh, you know, the Latino civil rights movement has made some headway. And I think that there is more acceptance now. But it doesn't really have, in my view, uh, a very affirmative sense of, um, you know, just advocating for gay people as part of their platform. I mean, you go to a lot of these organizations that sometimes it's not really spelled out that the LGBTQ Latino community is included in their platform. Uh, and some of them it is, clearly. So it's, it's important to acknowledge that as well. So I think that, yeah, so that's... It so was we also innovative like, because you invited the lesbian, the, the, the Latina lesbians. Now, that kind of a, of a union, you, that was also incredibly innovative and, and visionary because that also yeah. wasn't happening either. Talk about no, that. Yeah. How did you well, come there was there was certainly, um, well, especially in L.A., had a very specific history of the gay male community and the lesbian community not working together. I mean, that changed once HIV and AIDS came on, you know, came on the scene. But previous to that, there was really not that kind of a unit. I mean, and if it was, it was around a campaign. It was relatively transactional, uh, but not. And there was a difference, right, between uh, uh, having a transaction. You know, we're here because we have a common enemy, a common threat. And then after that specific issue is kind of resolved, uh, then we go back to our own places. Um, as opposed to, so that's a very transactional relationship, as opposed to a relationship that is deeper, that is connected, that is like, you know, you're, I'm interested in the, in your future, in your well-being, you know, and I think that that's what we were able to do in GLUE, that we're able to, um, to, to have uh, the women, and this is, this is uh, very much stated by the woman in the film, and, and, and GLUE, and only that that uh, they really felt that it was a space where they, the men uh, were very supportive of them becoming leaders. And at the same time, the women being very supportive of the men becoming leaders. So it was very, this very synergistic relationship that I, uh, uh, that that we created. Now, I don't want to romanticize and say that there was no sexism, that there was no, of course, uh, I think that we were able and we had retreats uh, you know, to talk about some of these issues, uh, but we're able to at least, you know, put those issues on the table and 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 and, and really, you know, come to some uh, conclusions, including behaviors that that will make it much more uh, friendlier and 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 I guess much more accepted, you know, to the woman in in a way that glute never did not have female leadership on his on 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 his board and and certainly you know woman leading leading the the organization. So I think that that was very unique and it was a very um very powerful statement that I think that we sent to other organizations and men and women could work together. Um you mentioned in in the film which I was always very struck by is that uh the big festival because you were located in Silver Lake, Echo Park uh, Los Feliz, and I, I love that because it brings a history, such a rich history to this, you know, to these neighborhoods in LA that, you know, by and large have become gentrified. But at the time, the kind of history that that uh, the movie Unidad brings, you know, to the fore is this history, this place. And there were these large fest, uh, you said street fairs. And, and yeah. you actually- Sunset Junction, Sunset Junction Street Fair, yeah. Sunset yeah. Junction Street Fair. And you, and you had invited- 
because you were a, I, I, you were concerned about the the gang members and and they actually had a role you gave what was tell, talk a little so, bit so, yeah so so basically sunset junction became uh basically silver lake is between Lake, geographically speaking between Lake and west hollywood you could say and and that's where you know the gay movement was on the west side and and the civil rights latino movement was on the on the other side and silver lake was in the middle so you know and the way i look at it you know if you were going to use silver lake as a as a geographic metaphor is that it was an event diagram right you know where the two east and west kind of met and that was what silver lake was where you could be queer latino latina and you did not have to compromise either your ethnicity or your sexual orientation. A living space. Correct. It's a, a exactly beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things is that there was there was a lot of gay bashing from Latino gangs uh, going on in Silver Lake, uh, very close to Echo Park, and and you know one of the things that um, people in the community decided to do is to have a street fair that would actually include all members of the community, including, you know, kids who were in gangs. And so the role that the kids had, the gang members had, were they were security. And they, you know, they they kind of like had a truce with all the gangs in the area, and they became the security. And, and basically, such a different um, uh, uh, sense of, you know, how do we look at our youth, right? They're looking for leadership opportunities. They're looking for ownership. They're looking for a sense of protecting their territory. You know, now how we create structures, right? And spaces where protection of the territory also means protecting other people, including gay people. And and it was just something something magical that, that I think that experiment I'm not so sure that it was ever replicated, but it, it it really spoke to the spirit again of you know who we were and what we wanted our communities to be about. That instead of incarceration, we were providing a space for leadership. Mm, absolutely beautiful and and visionary and and mythic, and mythic. Yeah. It, to me, it takes me to that myth of um, of Athena, who yeah. who was a goddess of civilization. Everything that she created was for the people, for civilization, whether it was the olive tree that she brings to the people of Athens uh, or, or the um, weaving or the bridle and, and the yoke or everything, you know, d- democracy, court yeah. by trial, right? A jury by trial, all of these things. And one of the things that she did through her art of pathos, uh, the persuasion through eloquence, um, she was able to m- make the old goddesses from the, you know, the the um, prior to the Olympians to the Furies. She, through her pathos, through her eloquent persuasion, was able to make them the kindly ones, from the Furies to the kindly ones, by giving them their place. Correct. Under the and that's and that's yeah. No, that's a very that's a great uh, context because I think what these kids wanted to be heroes, right? And 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 as you mentioned in in some conversations that we had, heroes do the work of the divine, right? And they were the higher values of civilization. They serve the gods. Yeah, Beautiful, and yeah. and you know, so these gang kids, you know, they were the gang kids. They wanted to be heroes. The question is, 
what was the context in which that heroism was being played out. And I think that our job is not to criminalize automatic. I mean, you know, so one does something really, really horrible, of course, you know, you know, there's got to be justice for the people who are injured, right? But um, but at the same time, you know, how do we provide a spaces where that heroism is manifested in a way that is constructive and that is about uh, protecting everyone uh, in, in, in those communities that they belong? So I think that's the main well, uh, kind of, uh, you know, takeaway, you know, from the, the work that Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos did, not only in behalf of our specific community of LGBTQ Latinas and Latinos, but you know, how do we bring that healing to uh, to other communities? Beautiful, absolutely beautiful and important work in in this time when we experience this this polarity that that serves tyranny and aims to rip us apart, to 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 um, smother our humanity, our hearts, our souls. And this kind of work, you know, it, it also takes me to the, the the role of, let's say, the mythic um, Iris, the rainbow yeah. goddess. The fact yeah. that the rainbow, you know, is, is the flag, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. She was the messenger of the gods, the between worlds, the you know the two spirits, and and so and and serve nectar to the gods. I love that. To me, yeah. when we in this kind of movement that serves civilization, that unites us rather than divides us, that has the vision, you know, to to, to give everyone their place. Of course, always you know you know seeking justice and accountability, but you know love and humanity and a celebration that you, you were able to create out of a tremendous um, suffering and and um, uh, threats, like you said, common thread and common threats. So that kind of work is key in this in this Kairos moment, this opportune moment for imagining a new world into being. Yeah. yeah, the reality is that there is no issue that we cannot resolve if we're united, right? If we have a common uh, sense of, uh, what the future humanity should look like, but but we don't. I mean, we live in a very polarized. And I think that one of the, you know, it's kind of like peace begins with us, right? I made a decision because I have family members who are not necessarily aligned with my political viewpoints. I mean, very, very different, radically different. You know, I would say mostly on the conservative, you know, right-wing side of the aisle, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, which are viewpoints that are pretty much uh, opposed to my viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I made a decision, not only with family and friends, that I was not going to dehumanize someone because of that. And, you know, by the same token, I expect that to be the case. And, and it's, it's really almost like a spiritual experiment that you make, you know, where you are connecting to, uh, you know, people's humanities, people's heart. And because people are not just one thing, people are not just political machines, you know, they, they're also human beings. And they might have a different way of wanting to resolve a problem. And that is so difficult for us to understand. But I also go back to the times where I've been very dogmatic and I've been very wrong. You know, and um, and I and now my political views on some of those things, 
you know, have changed. Like I will not tolerate someone uh, like Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua or, or Chavez in, in Venezuela or Maduro in Venezuela. I mean, like these people are hurtful. You know, they're neo-fascists, you know, with, with a progressive rhetoric, you know, but that's all it is. And, 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 and the harm that these people are doing to their own people. And yet in the past, maybe I will be like, well, you know, uh, this and that, and you know, and, and you just have to go back to like, okay, who is being hurt? Who is suffering, you know, by this policy? And, and what is what is good governance? How do we serve community? Yeah. You know, that's the what is I mean, community well being ultimately is you know is what we seek a vision that's wedded to the land. Right. How harmful right. are you know these ideologies? You know, across the globe right now, where literally i heard robert reich say that we spend three trillion dollars on the war economy three trillion dollars and yet we have over 600 you know thousand people homeless there's no health care for people people are going broke or dying because they can't afford it you know education people are going into phenomenal debt just to pay for yeah. higher yeah. education um and and then we have you know, the, everything, this, like I say, the, the, the polarization, there's no money for, yeah. for the yeah. people. So, yeah, it's basically like, you know, we're prioritizing a death economy versus uh, an economy that promotes life, right? Exactly. And, and then uh, land. We're, we're, this is serious change. Yeah. Instead, we're, yeah. you know, bombing people uh, instead yeah. of taking care of the yeah. planet and everybody in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, yeah, this, yeah. yeah. All living beings, yeah. No, I mean, and I think, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, it's not to, you know, I mean, I, for me, again, because the the transformation also has to be individual, you know, we, we, I certainly believe in systems transformation, because that's where the biggest impact it has, but it also, and I don't necessarily think that it has one has the chicken or the egg that oh, until we change the system, we change ourselves, until we change ourselves, changes it. No, those two things can, can go parallel, and they have to. Right. But uh, but I think that we had to make that commitment. I, I personally have made that commitment to 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 connect to people's hearts, to connect to people's spirits. And, and it's been very an amazing journey in this sense, an experiment to some extent that I've been finding that people that I have traditionally thought were very close minded and they, you know, they were 100 percent one thing. They're not 100 percent one thing. You know, there are openings there of dialogue, but also of, of alignment. And that's when we begin to, but it, but but the 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 approach is to speak with the heart, to connect to their heart, to connect to their spirit, to connect to what's important to them. And and that that we we don't get triggered by thing by things that we have already conceptualized and already you know, have a stereotype of, oh, if they say this, then I'm triggered. And that's the end of that story. Well, you know, find out why. Find out why. And I think what you said, you said two things here. One, connecting to the heart. That's that's so beautiful because today is Valentine's Day. And, and to me, I think of Valentine's Day, not in, in the hallmark way, but in a way of reclaiming that as a day of love. In Mexico, it's the day of love and friendship. Right, a little amor y la amistad. But that so it's connecting to the heart. But you also said, you know, we people get triggered and 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 react, and that triggering instead of I mean that's what the union is is 
that's a, a complex is being constellated and, and it's the shadow that comes up. So instead of blaming and, and projecting that outwards is getting curious about it. Why is it triggering? Where does it take you? What does right, it mean? Right. You know, let's, let's bring what is in the darkness to light within ourselves, you know, yeah. and, and of course as a collective, but that's it. That's the heart and the soul, you know, and it's a beautiful yeah. way to, to bring yeah, today's, yeah. Sure. you know, um, program to a you know full circle with mm-hmm. you, uh, Roland. This has been a, a really a, it's a, a delightful way to 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 close and 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 connecting hearts and to celebrate and to celebrate uh, Valentine's, which is el día de la amistad y el día del amor. Right, that's a good way to celebrate because I mean you know the the yeah we don't we don't necessarily connect politics to the heart and to the spirit. And I think that that's where we have lost our way, that it becomes, you know, just, you know, a dogmatic uh, exchange yeah. and uh, as opposed to a more of a humane exchange. Exactly. Because they're not going away. We're not going away. But even saying the word they automatically puts them in an opposing camp. But, but no one is going away. Yeah, we so are. How do we... Exactly. How do we learn to dialogue? You also said yeah. that. I mean, yeah. the, the, this learning to dialogue was something that the the Vietnamese Buddhist master and poet um, activist uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said is that, you know, when countries are facing war, dialogue takes time and and and, and energy and and and. And discipline. and discipline. And discipline. Discipline. And you know, I I, I heard I, this wonderful. Um, Buddhist teacher from years and years ago, and I, she might even still be alive. Um, I think hundred dot Fisher Smith. She said that discipline means being a disciple of yourself. Mm. I love that, and and but self with a capital S. Oh, disciple, disciple, the higher ideal. Exactly, the self with a capital S, your personal God image, and that's yeah. you talked about dedication. All of those go together. You know, that dedication to the heart, to the to the wider vision of, of community well-being, that that is something to to dedicate oneself to in this Kairos moment, this opportune moment between worlds as humanity faces a um, existential crisis, you know, like I've never seen in my life as, as an elder. And so it's it's you bring, you know, your your work, your personal myth, uh, Roland, and in contribution to this larger unfolding cosmic insold story has really um, brought hope. You know, messenger of the gods, nectar for the gods, for the higher um, value. We, we all are on the goddesses. <laughs> messengers <laughs> of the god and the goddesses. The gods and the goddesses. Yes, yes, yes. Divine. Anyway, yeah. hang on for a moment. Sounds good. Yes, thank you so much for, for joining You're us. You're so very well. Thank you. For the Thank you for the opportunity. To, uh, yes, 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 yes. Thanks so much. Until next time, stay curious and cultivate wonder. Thank you. Thank you.